welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. We're starting a new message series today called Witnesses. Today uh, is the first, uh, it'll be the the next, I don't know, six, seven weeks till um, Pentecost Sunday, which is the second Sunday in June, I believe it is. But today is People Matter to God. And the main point is because people matter to God, Jesus sends us out to be his witnesses, and to proclaim the gospel. There is no plan B. You and I are plan B. And uh, we're going to show a video right now of, of an amazing thing. See if you can remember this. It, it just made me feel so good. Let's share this. Of a, sort of an impossible happening that was report, recorded several years ago. There are times, and today was one of those times, when television approaches the truly magical, when it becomes the sort of instrument that 50 or 60 years ago would have been regarded as supernatural. God bless America. Consider what we've all seen today, whom we've heard and where we've been. If you were there at the inauguration of President Reagan, for example, you saw him from only one angle in only one location. But I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. If you were at home watching television, you saw him at church, at Blair House, riding up Pennsylvania Avenue and down Pennsylvania Avenue. And throughout it all, you were in Germany. The 52 Americans are going to get directly onto buses to go to Wiesbaden Hospital. And Algiers. The Americans took their first steps into freedom. And you saw the hostages. The instant they disembarked in Algiers, the moment that they landed in Germany. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And all of it. You saw as it was happening. This has been, without question, one of the more memorable days in our nation's history. And television, much maligned television, which frequently does numb the brain and dull the senses, today produced a technological miracle. Never has any generation of Americans had greater reason to claim that they were eyewitnesses to history. And the people who devised television's unbelievable technology deserve some credit. We have seen all the preparations made to turn despair into hope and captivity into freedom. This is Ted Koppel in Washington. For all of us here at ABC News, good night. How do you remember that day? Yeah, and how good it was to be an American? Yeah, those hostages were held for 444 days. We had attempted different things. Uh, We had there's a military maneuver that went in, and that did not work out the way that we had planned. And uh, this the, was on the day of President Reagan's inauguration. Uh, he knew that there were things already in the works, and actually, in his acceptance speech, he had a, a special place set aside in case that he would hear about it. And it was on that day that a note was handed to him. He did not mention his inauguration speech, 
but that the 52 American captives had been freed. They were on their way home, and you heard them say, thanking America, thanking God for it. They had been rescued. They had been saved, and it was just a great day to be, to be part of that. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, all attempts to save humanity made in his image had failed. And when Jesus Christ came in God's redemption plan of his story, when he came and was buried, suffered and died, buried on the cross, resurrected again, God's redemption story lacked only one detail, and that detail would be the fourth leg of this relay race that the baton would be handed to you and to me to participate in the greatest mission that mankind has ever seen and ever will see. That's called the Great Commission. And I want to share with you over these next six or seven weeks about what, what the term witnesses means and how you and I can become contagious Christians, contagious followers of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said these words after his ascension, after his resurrection. There were 40 days between when he, when he had resurrected and when he would ascend to heaven. And Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, actually 1 through 8, tells us of the things that he was telling to his disciples during that time. And so, Luke 24 says this, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And I find that so curious that he had to open the minds of the disciples who had been with him for over three years. He opened them so they could understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. In God's grand redemption story, this relay race has four legs. How many of you have ever participated in, in track and field and perhaps you've run, run relay races? Our daughter our daughter did the 4 by 100 and then also the 4 by 200 as a, as a, a member of the Beller High track and field team. And so the first leg, the first leg was the coming of Jesus Christ. The most critical part in the race is the handing off of the baton. If the baton is dropped, at any time in that race, essentially the race is over. It's almost impossible to recover. The second leg was that he suffered and died for our sins on Calvary. He bore the penalty of our sins. The third leg was that he was resurrected from the dead, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ in power and glory. And the fourth leg is the Great Commission, and now 
Jesus has done three things, but the four things he hands to us. The finish line is when Christ comes back again as the king and the judge of this earth and the kingdom of God and the new heavens and new earth are here. And I'm, I'm headed for the finish line. How about you? I've run too far now to give up. I don't want to drop the baton. I want to take the baton. I want to go all the way with the Lord. So after he handed this off, there, there was a remarkable growth of Christianity. He handed it to the 11, but then on the day of Pentecost, there were 120. They're in the upper room. Uh, they were baptized in the Spirit. And on that same day, there were 3,000 people that came to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of one sermon. A few weeks later, there were 5,000 that came. Christianity started to grow. And in just about 120 years after Jesus resurrected in the day of Pentecost, about 100, in 150 AD, there was 150,000 and it had grown to that amid severe persecution and martyrdom. In 250 AD, it had grown from 150,000 to 1.2 million people in the Roman Empire. And there had, been, there had been several million people this time now martyred for their faith. And at the time of Constantine, in the next 75 years, it grew so that 56% of the Roman Empire were now followers of Jesus Christ are 30 million people. Can you believe that? And today there are 2.2 million people under the banner of Christianity, or 2.2 uh, billion people under the banner of Christianity. And that now that's nominal Christians to those that are all in, but of that number, about 700 million are Pentecostals, spirit-filled and they're in all different denominations. You understand what I'm saying. And so just because the name is on the door doesn't mean it's in the heart. How many understand that? So, but they're taking this gospel to the ends of the earth. And the Lord has just this remarkable thing. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail, will prevail, and they will not prevail. And he sent his spirit to empower us to do it. In Acts chapter 2, on the day after the day of Pentecost, it was recorded of the New Testament of the early church that they devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word through the apostles, to the fellowship of one another. Can someone say community? Oh, that's really weak. Community. All right, it's basic. I mean, it's fundamental. It's community. They, develop, they devote themselves to community, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Can someone say prayer? prayer? Yes, exuberant worship and praising God in the temple continually, you know, not half, oh, I hope they sing my song today, you know, but exuberant, what the Lord had done for them. And then, and with generous hearts, they're marked by generosity. God did something on the inside, and so... Uh, Luke records that the church was growing in favor with God and with man, and the, and the message puts it this way, that the city around the church liked what they saw. And what the whole idea of witnesses and being a contagious 
Christian or follower of Jesus Christ is that we live our life in such a way that this world, people who are pre-followers of Jesus Christ, will observe us as individuals and the church, and they will like what they see. Amen. Can someone say amen? Praise God. That's what God has called us to do. And so we want to unpack this. The first thing, here's the first thing, is that people matter to God. People matter to God. John 3.16, put it up, and we're going to say it together on three. One and a two and a three and a... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the measure of his love for humanity. People matter to God and you matter to God today. And wherever you find yourself, in whatever situation, we matter to God. In fact, Jesus said that there's not, he said, if he sees every sparrow that falls, how much more does he take notice of us? If he notices every hair of our head, some of you don't have as many hairs as you did at one time, but he notices every hair that's fallen. The Lord Jesus has taken notice of that because we matter to the Lord. We've been made in his image. The second thing I want to share with you is that God has created this world for us, and I'm going to use a term called the anthropic principle. How many, you could hardly wait to hear about the anthropic principle. All right, look at that. You're really, okay, there's one, okay, two over here. Anyone else? Three, four, five, six. Is there seven, eight? Okay, all right, I'm ready to go, all right. Here's the anthropic principle. The anthropic principle is this, and it was first put forth in the 1960s, uh, or postulated. You all know what postulated means, right? All you engineers, and you postulated. The anthropic principle is that Earth, because Earth alone, Earth alone of all the planets in our universe supports humankind, and all the evidence leads to that God is the creator. Now, here's some of the supporting things. In our universe, the number of planets in our universe is, the number is so large, I don't know the name, I don't even know there is a name, but it's one followed by 27 27 zeros. One million is one followed by six. One billion is one followed by nine. One trillion is one followed by 12, okay? I don't know. where This thing just keeps climbing. But all I know is more than I have in my retirement account. That's all I know. All right. But it is a lot. And what we, what's found out of all the planets, one followed by 27 zeros, there's only one planet in our universe that supports, has everything working together at the right time so that life and human life can be there. Now, 
Genesis 1, 27 and 28 will show this, says this, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves in the earth. And then verse 31, God saw that all, all he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God created this earth for you and for me. Now, what the anthropic principles, it will define it like this, it, it, it is that the world's uniquely made for people, the strong anthropic principles, that means things that are centered around man, just for man, are so strong that they're more than coincidences. Now, I'll just, I'll give you a few other things. Now, there are 200, science has discovered that there are 200 parameters working in the closest cooperation together necessary for life as we know it. Okay. All right. If just one of those things is off, just one of those things is off, even by one followed by 17 zeros, poof. It goes up in flames. There's no more anything. Okay, now you say, well, I, Pastor, I, that's hard to comprehend. Okay, let's do it like this. All right. Take a hunt, take dominoes. How many of you like dominoes? You play with dominoes, you know, or you try trash train. All right. Okay, so what you do, you take, take the dominoes, take 150 of them, throw them on the concrete floor, just pitch them down like that, All of them, if they all come up, the highest number is six, right? 150, help me out, Bob, George, whoever. 150 times six is how many? That means 900. That means that there's 150 that all have to face up, all have to have six on them. If just one of them shows a five instead of a six, it's a done deal. It won't work. That's 150. We're talking about 200 pieces with everything, one in 17, one plus 17 zeros, that all of those have to line up all the time or it won't work, period. It just will not work. Now, how many think that's amazing? All right. How many think that just makes this look like a simple kid's building block? Okay. Now, That shows how much our Father loves us because he created this world for us so that his ways and his fellowship could go out to all the world. Now, I just want to follow up on this a little bit because here's here's what happens. You have scientists, the scientific field is split like anything else of those who believe in God and those who don't believe in God. Do you know that Albert Einstein believed in God? How many know that? He believed in God, right? So you'll have people like Richard Dawkins who wrote The God Delusion, who misquoted facts. Uh, Hawkins, who just recently is a brilliant, they are atheists, they don't believe in God. 
And they will say, well, you know, that, that's not so. We don't believe that God is the creator of this universe. But then you have people who are, believe in God, and they look at the evidence, the anthropic principle, and they say, it's there, we believe in God. So what does that mean? It means that if you're an atheist or you believe in God, that doesn't change science. The only thing it changes is how you interpret it. How many hear what I'm saying? And there's a fine line between interpreting scientific data properly and what is known as scientism. Scientism is taking the facts that are presented and interpreting in a way to fit our own agenda. Okay, how many get that? So uh, anyway, I thank God that God loved us. How about you? The sun is out. We get to mow the grass. Pretty soon we'll be eating tomatoes, and there's no other planet in the universe that can do that. that that's absolutely terrific. All right. Now, Jesus also tells us how valuable people are. Luke 15, the lost sheep. He left the 99 and went to one. It, at all cost, at all cost, he came for us. The lost coin, the widow lady in that home. In that day and time, there was no social security. There was no... IRA, there was no government pensions, there were no 401k, no 403b, there were, she didn't have anything. To be a widow in that culture, you were on the low end of the economic totem pole, and one day she lost her coin, and was in the house, and she swept that house, she turned it upside down, and she found that coin, and she called the neighbors and said, let's celebrate. In our home, if I found the shortcut to finding something. The grandkids have figured it out too. If they've lost something, I'll just say, babe, hey, I can't find such and such. And immediately, blip, everything stops. And there's a hunt that goes on until the thing is found. Isn't that pretty smart of me? You know, I just, yeah. Works every time. All right. But then the lost son the prodigal son, when he came home, shows us that God cares and it's his mercy and love and grace are available. He leaves the light on for us when we've gone away from God, when we've disappointed ourselves and we've done things that have separated us from God. We can come back to him. That's what the, the lost son tells us, the prodigal son, we come back to the Lord. But I want to, Church, I want to, this morning, I want to just exhort us not to fall into the trap of the elder brother. And the elder brother didn't care about the son that had been lost. In fact, he, all he could think about is now I have to do more work by myself. All he could think about that he wasted a third of, of the inheritance that might have been him. There would have been more. And we can fall into a trap where we don't see and we don't care for those outside of our circle of friends in the church. How many know what I'm talking about? See, we forget that there are people that matter to God. We can come to a place in this trap where we are worried, so worried down with the cares of this world that we don't see and care for people. Or we are so dissipated from our own pursuits that we have no time left to, to care and to worry. Or we might even be like some Christians 
whose attitude is, bless God, we're going to hold the fort until Jesus comes rather than carrying out his mission in this world. But we matter to God. And I'm so grateful, even today, that we matter to God. The second thing is because we matter to God, Jesus sends us on the greatest mission of all. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's an acrostic in your notes, and it spells sent. S is for sent. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, once again, this is after the resurrection, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That greeting of peace is an ancient greeting that means the peace of God visit your life today. Jesus visited the disciples. They were alone. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do after Jesus had been crucified. But he said to them, my peace I give to you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he sends us. The second thing is he's equipped us. All authority, heaven and earth. Mark tells us this, that these signs will follow them that believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will speak with new tongues. He's given us the equipment and he's equipped you with who, just who you are so that you can be a contagious witness where you are. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes we think, when we hear the word witness, how many does that, like, sort of shake you just a little bit? Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Or you've seen people that, how many remember the chick tracks? How many remember the chick tracks, you know? Some people use those like they weaponize them. Turn or burn. You're going to hell now. And it's, it's this one-minute speech, and you felt like you had been T-boned, run over. There was no grace, no love, no nothing. It was like, you got to get right, or you're not going to be like us. And so the, the thought in our mind is, oh, man, that's what witnessing means. That's not what witnessing means. It means experiencing God and Jesus in our life. And just how God has wired you and made you, you can, you can be a vessel, a tool, an instrument, a living epistle for God. In fact, you know, God's word says that we are living epistles known and read of all men, and God is making his appeal through us. We're the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so he has equipped us. He's given us authority. And then Anne is for not alone, that Jesus is with you, not alone. To the end of the earth, when we're on this adventure, he is with us. 
and then teaching. Teaching is a three-part thing of its sharing knowledge, our knowledge of the Lord, but it's also living in a way that changes people's attitude towards us. That might change how we react in certain situations. I, I can, if I'm at a red light and someone is texting, ooh, does that bother anyone else? Yes, thank you. Bob got his hand right up there. I know, look, his eyes even got wide. All right. I've been known, God help me in some moments, if, I'm, if they're texting and the light turns yellow, I beep the horn. And my wife is always, that's rude. You know, that's, I said, well, no, that's illegal. They're not supposed to be taking <laughs> this comeback. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, I won't go there anymore. But how we act in the grocery store, if something doesn't go our way, how many follow what I'm saying? Do, what we do, does that lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ? So yes, we're to share the good news, but our life is to model the good news so attitudes about the church and about Jesus change. You know, we live in an age, it's a, it's a me age, and it's a victim mentality. How many know that? I mean, you, you just listen to, the, listen to the hate speech. We live in an age of accusations and victimhood. Looking for any authority to blame them or blame those in power it's just to blame somebody for a shortcoming in our life. And God is often blamed. And God wants us to live in a way as the church and as believers in our, on our block or in our condo association so that we model the Lord Jesus Christ and they say, oh, is that, that's what it means to be a Christian. And then the third part of that are behaviors Knowledge, attitude, and behaviors then equals change. And that's the formula for teaching. Go and teach them in my name. The third thing is this, is that this mission requires a personal commitment. Romans 10, verses 8 and 9. So, Paul says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what Paul is saying here is it requires a personal commitment to intentionality. As I preach the word of God, I'm very conscious, I'm very conscious of this. The word of God as it preached produces faith in the hearts of people. And that faith in our hearts. So today you're hearing about being a witness of Jesus. And my prayer is that his church were all going, yes, I'm, yes, yes, Lord. I want to be contagious. I just don't want to, I just don't want it to be a command go. Lord, I don't want it to be I got to, but a get to. See, 
contagious. And as the word of God is preached, and as you hear this, and as you witness, as you hear it, and, and you speak it, rather, and people receive it, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ produces an effect in the heart of people. And as they're open to it, it begins to come up here, and Paul said, it's in your mouth, but you have to confess it. See that? You have to hear it has to go in your heart. We receive. It comes up, but we also have to speak it out. How many follow that? But Paul went on to say, but how can they hear unless there's a preacher or a witness? And how can they go unless they're sent? There's a commitment to intentionality. There are times when God is doing something in our life and he wants to heal us. And he'll put a word of faith in our heart and then we'll say, well, no, I might be, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of something. You know, the enemy can steal away what God wants to do in your life through those fears. And so this being intentional because many think that if, if we live a good Christian life, people will see that, they'll desire it and figure out how to become a follower of Jesus. How many know that doesn't work with your babies, your kids? How many know you want them to grow up, but if you just say, oh, just figure it out on your own? Uh, we, we took two of our grandkids, uh, Chase and his brother Isaiah, seven and two years old. We went up uh, to Maplehoff Dairy yesterday to get them ice cream and chocolate milk, you know, and and it's just great in the Amish country, and we're up close to the horse and buggies. My grandson didn't even know what a buggy was. So he got to see a buggy up close. We went to greenhouses, and, man, he's buying flowers. He had some money he could spend. I mean, he's, he's, he's spending it, you know. And uh, we, we, we took them up there, and, uh, but it was this intentionality and because we had wanted to do it, but unless we did it, it, it we wouldn't have had those memories with them. And, and, and the Lord wants us to commit to being an intentional, intentional about being a contagious witness. The next thing is that we refocus on spirit-led opportunities. Wherever you go, wherever I go, there are opportunities to be a witness for Jesus Christ. They're spirit-led opportunities. But we have to refocus. This past week, I went for my annual eye exam, which is part of the wellness thing. And it's really something they, you know, you know the drill. They dilate your eyes. You can't, like, be out in the sun for hours. And then they give you these uh, cheap, they roll up these little plastic films. You're supposed to put them over your eyes. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And I hope I can make it back to church without hitting anybody, you know, that, that type of deal. And, and when they look in there with, they're looking at things, and, but then they do a refraction. Eye test, we used to call it. And then they'll go, how's this? Well, read the top lot. Read as far as you can. All right, how's this? Okay, 
All right. Number one or number two? Then they got to, I don't know, five or six. And it's like, after a while, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, you know. It's playing tricks with me, you know. Like, I don't go around wearing those things anyway. And it always shows up different in the office than it does with my eyes. But they're, re they're focusing. And church, the Lord is calling us to refocus on our opportunities and where we go. That trip to the grocery store is not just a trip to get a gallon of milk. But we'll run into people that matter to God. And if, we, if we'll say, Lord, yes, yes. Help me. Holy Spirit, yes. I, yeah, just lead me. Help me to live for you. And then obedience. God's obedience aligns us with him and we become his eyes and his favor is on us and his guidance is on us as we do that. And in fact, Jesus said, my strength is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his work. And he's talking about the great harvest. That's our strength. And then clothed with God's power. The word baptize, uh, it's, it's a Greek word because the New Testament is written in Greek. The English word is baptize. The Greek word is baptizo. It, it's just baptize, all you have to know. It has a couple of different me meanings according to how it's used. Just like if I say, I love, I, or you might say, I love such and such a pizza. You know, that's not the same as when, if I said in my life, babe, I love you. I know this different. So when Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and baptize them, it meant baptizing them in water as an outward sign that something happened. But in, in Acts, when he talked about baptizing and, and, and when he talked about Luke, that you, uh, you'd be, or in John, that you'd be clothed with power, what the word baptize there means that there's a baptism that takes us into another experience where we know the fullness of God and his power. So that we can't help but wanting to tell and wanting to be a contagious witness. We just are. It's to have that experience of God's fullness and God's power. So, I'm grateful for God's command, but I'm even more grateful that we can be clothed with power from on high. That we can refocus on what His priorities are. That we can make the difference, the only difference, that when He hands us the baton, we can say, yes, we're going to take it. We're not going to drop this thing. We're going for it in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Over the next few weeks, I'm praying as we, as we develop this, that, that we'll hear testimonies of, and stories that will come because you've said, yes, Lord, I embrace this. I commit to it. I commit to being intentional, Lord, for what you're doing. And God, and how many would say along with me, Lord, I just, Lord, it's, I just need a refocus. I need a refocus. I can... You know, the Lord has spoken to me as I'm getting this ready, as I'm preparing for this. 
I've never seen a time, it's been 40-some years of ministry, I've never seen more that it takes more to so-called run a church, if you would, than I've ever seen in my life. It's just incredible. All of the, 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 all the requirements of the IRS and the federal government and the local government and the state government and the building codes, and it just, it doesn't end. It just goes on and on and on and on. And, and the Lord has just said to me, you know, I want you to refocus on the main thing being the main thing. We've got programs to run and staff and, and all, you know, we, and we sit down on Tuesday, we reflect from Sundays and it's like, oh, it just, there's no end to it. But our strength and what God has called us to, to be his witnesses, contagious witnesses here in this county around the world, praise his name. And I, I say, Lord, I embrace that. God, will you make going to the grocery store or the barbershop an adventure more than the guy sitting on the text in line at, at the red light for me. Don't let that upset my day, but let, Lord, if I go for this thing, you've promised to present opportunities to me that I can be your contagious witness, Lord. People can say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a breath of fresh air. Praise his name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me this morning.